Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Robbie Burns is a music educator and freelance percussionist residing in Ellicott City, Maryland. He holds a Bachelor of Music Education and Masters of Music from the University of Maryland College Park. Robbie's teaching experience ranges from elementary school through university ensembles. He is currently an employee of the Howard County Public School System, where he teaches band and music at Ellicott Mills Middle School and co-directs the HCPSS Middle School Honor Band. Outside of his daily music teaching responsibilities, Robbie maintains an active private percussion teaching studio out of his home. Robbie has presented sessions at music education conferences all over the country on the subject of music production software, cloud services, Apple products, and their connection to productivity and creativity in the music classroom. Robbie's first book, Digital Organization Tips for Music Teachers, published by Oxford University Press, is available now. He writes and speaks about music education and technology on his blog and podcast, Music Ed Tech Talk. As a freelance percussionist, Robbie is comfortable with all styles, specifically including orchestral, musical theater, opera, chamber, rock, and jazz. He has performed with the Signature Theater, Studio Theater, Opera Camerata of Washington, D.C., and the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra under such conductors as Marin Alsip and Lauren Maisel. Robbie has also worked with a variety of local music projects, including Rock Cello Quartet, Primitivity, and nine-piece funk band, The Superland Stage Band. So for our series, uh, or season three finale, I'm bringing on uh, a gentleman who I've been following for years and years, and I'm absolutely thrilled that he agreed uh, uh, to come on and and to close out uh, this crazy (laughs) year uh, talking with me today. So Robbie, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you uh, joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. All right. Very cool. So um, for those of you that don't, or for those listeners that don't really know um, of your work, why don't you give us like the the snapshot of how you got started in music up to where you are today in your current teaching role? Sure. So if you go all the way back, it starts with uh, getting the drum set in the third grade. And, uh, you know, my, my roots, I think, are, I guess, best described as like the, the middle school, high school garage band life. Um, that was that was what I was doing, you know, from. Uh, yeah, right. It's, you know, just just smashing drums and metal bands and playing everywhere I could. And, uh, you know, do, doing the kinds of things that I think uh, you know, are, are not uncommon, you know, playing, uh, grew, grew up playing a lot of drums in the church, you know, just like, just, just get playing as much as possible. And, you know, in lots of it really informal kinds of music making environments, um, you know, of course, always being involved in the school band as a percussionist, uh, as you know, and, and just growing up kind of following that path. And, uh, I would, you know, as far as my life as a performer goes, you know, it's the area of my life where I have the most professional training. It's the area of my life that I, uh, you know, definitely have pursued the highest degree of of experience and education. Um, but I'm kind of a late bloomer when it comes to that. Right. Um, you know, I barely, just barely made it into the couple of local state music school programs that I did. And uh, I was just like in real serious need of, uh, you know, a, a rework on my plane chops, but more importantly, uh, an, an attitude <laughs> adjustment. So, <laughs> um so, you know, I got I got to school at the University of Maryland and it took me a couple of years to kind of find my way. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing or, or what I wanted to do. But I'm, I'm certainly very, very lucky that I ended up in the circumstances and in the places and around the people that I did, because uh, I eventually ended up having uh, c- catching the bug for music teaching. Right. Uh, yeah, I had a very, very formative student teaching experience where I got to work with Dr. Richard Roberts at uh, actually at the school that I currently 
chat. So oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So he w- he was actually my middle school band director when I was growing up. Uh, and then when I got placed with him as a student teacher, he had he was at a different school. Uh, and I have actually now worked at both of the schools, the school that. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild how it comes full circle. And then until recently, he was directing the wind ensemble and uh, working with uh, the music education majors at the Catholic University. Um, so that that teaching experience was just really formative for me. You know, it was the it was the part of the teaching experience where I learned that my I mean, you, you hear this a lot as a in a music education program, but it was the, the part of my experience in undergraduate degrees, you know, in my undergrad, where I finally realized that the performing and the teaching were not two separate experiences. Like they were not things that I needed to approach differently. Right. Uh, and it was the place where I learned that I really loved working with middle school age students. Um, and then the way his whole way of doing things was just like, just blew my mind. Like he was communicating really uh, deep, you know, musical concepts to middle school students, but in a way that was like, you know, how if you ever like see like a really good animated movie or cartoon, like the, a lot of them, the good ones, like just hit all sort of age demographics, like you, different kinds of life experiences. Like he, he would communicate musical ideas to young people that I felt like were mature ways of saying things that you could really get something from what he was saying, no matter like how experienced you were with music. Right. Yep. Um, he wasn't like watering it down for them, um, but he also was packaging them in a simple enough way where they would connect to him. And I don't know, it was just it was very it was very life changing. And, and it was actually so life changing that I decided to stay at the University of Maryland and get a degree in percussion performance. And um, I decided to go that path for two reasons. One is that the program at the University of Maryland for education anyway, uh, you need some teaching experience first. So I, I couldn't have done it right away if I had tried. But the other thing is I just really felt like my um, my student teaching experience, you know, more than anything confirmed that what I wanted to do was understand music and performance at a higher level. I felt like that was what was going to make me be a better teacher. And, you know, I had seen, as, as I was mentioning, my my mentor, I had seen him, you know, he had studied horn performance and had his uh, his DMA in that. So I'd seen him kind of go that path. And I thought this is the direction I want to go. Right. I'm always, always thinking I would I would come to teaching, you know, after that was done. And, you know, I, I freelanced uh, for a few years. It was it was a time where not a whole lot of jobs were on the table uh, when I graduated from my master's. And um, so, you know, I took a couple, actually one year off and uh, it was during that year. And in the first couple of years of my first middle school band teaching job that I really started to get into some of the technology stuff, mostly as a way to be sort of creative and productive with myself, like using technology as sort of an organizational and a research tool, um, but also for composing and for, you know, I was arranging for a cello rock quartet at the time that I was the drummer of. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, like, cool. yeah, we were like covering uh, Megadeth songs and, uh, you know, other, other kinds of, we were, that, that was sort of like the core repertoire of the band. And I was like, you know, writing like Beatles and Muse and other kinds of, you know, like System of a Down. I was like taking these other songs that I had grown up with and writing them for, for uh, three cellos and drum set. And uh, so I was learning Sibelius and Pro Tools and just sort of getting into all of the the tools that would make me uh, more a more organized person and a more creative person. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I had a, a a very good friend who was a year older than I was in my undergrad. I, you said something that I, I'll I'll get to in a moment through this little story. Um, and like you know, like you had your kind of your your mentor, if you will, your band director, and then and then your cooperating teacher. One of my mentors was a, was a student a year older than me. His name is Patrick Burns. He's a composer. He's done a lot of um, uh, honor bands in Maryland. So he, he may have even been in, in your district. I don't know. But he, um, you know, once I, I'm a tuba player and once I went to undergrad, I kind of said, well, I'm only going to be a teacher so I can goof off. Um, I don't really need to practice because I'm not going to be a performance major. You know, I was I was pretty good, but I wasn't re- I didn't really take it seriously. And with your attitude adjustment, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds a little bit like me. And he basically said to me, he's only a year older. And, and for many, they, they'd probably say, you know, I'm not going to listen to you or, or probably something a lot more colorful language wise. But he basically said, you cannot be a good music teacher unless you're a good musician. And I remember like it, it hurt when he said it. And I was like, wow, that was rough. And he's like, it's true. You, you don't practice. You're not going to be any 
you have, you're not going to be a good music teacher. And it was at that moment where I just, I would think I was at the end of my freshman year. I said, okay. And for whatever reason, that little statement, um, you know, I, I plunged head first as much as I possibly could practice and to be the best uh, tuba player I could be. And I'm sure in the long run that, that it helped me better be a better music teacher. So it's not surprising at all. Cause I know, of your reputation that, you know, you, you plunged head first into, into being the best musician you could be. And that that's basically just rubbed off on your teaching. What, what do you think of that? Am I, am I on the right track? Yeah, that's absolutely the right track. I think for me, like what the main thing I took away from the student teaching experience and uh, from that, you know, that part of my history as a musician was I was just learning how to, like to appreciate process and not end goals, not a product. And right. That was like a, a big thing, you know, I was just coming back to my student teaching being so formative. Like there was a, um, like he, uh, Rich had this like, it was like a BMW ad that he had like right above where he stood on the podium. And it was like, um, uh, gosh, I'm like, I'm not like really a car person. The M3 is the one I think that that's, that's, right. A, that's right. Yeah. The M3. Okay. You can, you can make me sound smarter about cars. By, by <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's an M3 uh, just to like, in black and white, just cruising around a circle. And it said, uh, gosh, now, now I'm going to like, I'm going to mess up this quote here. Hold on. Uh, I, I think I know the quote. It's about, we don't, we don't make cars. We make something. I, I, I remember the ad. I think, you're Oh, you know about. what it is? You know what it is? It's, um, I see, I forget if it's life or enjoyment or pleasure, but it's basically to the effect of I, I'm paraphrasing or not, depending on, uh, accurately what this, what this poster said, but it was basically life is not around the corner. Life is the corner. Oh, yeah. very cool. Philosophically, obviously, that stuck with me more than the actual quote. But the image sticks. And, and it's, yeah. I think about that. And I thought, you know, I don't really feel like I spent enough time learning how to master this process. And, I, and I'll joke with people, but I'm not really joking when I when I make this joke. Like, I didn't learn how to practice until I was halfway through my master's program. Yep. And I got where I needed to be. Uh, but it, it really wasn't until then. And I, and I can tell you, you know, the... A, a private student was asking me about this the other day because we were watching a video of one of the pieces that I performed on my master's recital. And they were asking, like, you know, like, did I ever have moments where I, like, made a mistake? And I, and I told them, I was like, by the time I played that piece on that stage, every time I ever played every phrase in that piece, it sounded exactly the same. Like, that was a, that was a master performance. And that's not you're seeing a snapshot of it when you watch you know my whatever thing i threw up on youtube but the it's that process of like the grind and what that looks like that's so much more interesting to me as how i shape musicians but also how i shape young people like yeah. into human beings um so that's just really what stuck with me I'm, but i'm with you totally like i i'm i'm really i feel like i i got super lucky with the circumstances like i don't know if i would be where i am if it weren't for a couple of key people who helped me to realize that philosophically at that age yeah. So, um, Robbie, why don't you describe your current teaching situation? Where are you? What school and what is your what is your schedule like? And, you know, we'll, we'll get to COVID in a bit. So like pre-COVID, what what is your what's your daily gig? Sure. So I'm at Ellicott Mills Middle School, which is the third middle school music program I've taught at. And then actually I've taught band and at most of my positions I've taught all of them. I've taught band, but at most of them, I've also taught a little bit of general music as well. So at my current teaching position, I've got. Well, I'll tell you what we've got because we're a huge music team and I'm actually, I'm really proud of my team. Like they're five of the coolest, I guess I'm including myself in the five, but it's just, <laughs> it's such a cool team. Like they're all the kinds of people who like when you see them teach, they make you want to be better at teaching. Yep. Like you get yep. ideas from them, you know, and you sometimes sit in your seat and think like, wow, what am I doing? Like they're so, these teachers are so good. Like how do I get to be here? And um, so between the five of us, there are four bands, four choirs, three orchestras, two jazz bands, one symphony orchestra, and then a handful of the, the enrollment in general music fluctuates a little bit. But basically, we have a couple of sixth grade classes. And then we've been over the past five years, uh, one of five schools in our district who are piloting our county's first um, sort of like a sequential curriculum for general music. So it's a, a one and a two rather than a seventh and an eighth grade because to do the two class, you have to have taken the one. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually, that pilot is rolling out to the rest of the schools next year. And um, I mean, we can get into that a little bit later because that's definitely a place where some of the technology is getting used. Um, sure. But yeah, it's going, it's going well. But that's generally on an average year, that's 
what we look like. A couple of those are extracurricular experiences that I just mentioned, but uh, the core program is band, choir, orchestra, general music. Very cool. And so, uh, you know, the million dollar question, which is which I've asked everybody this season, uh, is how has COVID impacted your program? What are you doing right now? You know, the whole, give us, give us the picture. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the good, bad, and the ugly. We, we, I mean, like, I, I've rethought the whole, I rethought everything about how I am a teacher. Um, so I don't quite know where to begin. I mean, I guess I'll just start with, like, again, my team is so awesome. Like, it, it's been great that the whole music team is sort of, like, jumping into similar ideas at the right. same time. So, like, one thing we decided really early on, well, there was a couple things we decided uh, really early on. We decided that we needed to rethink what was meaningful to students and what grades were and what kinds of experiences could happen through, you know, a Google Meet or a Zoom voice call. Um, and we knew that pretty pretty early on that we just wanted our classes to be the, the, the best part of our students' day and that really nothing else mattered. Right. Um, and then as we started to see how long this was going, you know, how long we were going to be in this condition and how this could, you know, we don't, we don't like to think about the numbers game. Um, we try to think more about engagement, but the truth of the matter is like we can't operate on the level we've been operating if we don't have great numbers. So as we started to sense motivation levels sort of deteriorating, we had to just continue to stay on our feet and think to ourselves like what is going to make this experience one where like next year we have kids in seats and they just love being in our program, even even if it's this is not, you know, how it's always going to be. Right. Um, so that sort of like has influenced everything at a practical level. I mean, I, I guess the top the top level that people always want to know is like, what do, what do you actually do in the lessons? Like, how do you actually teach? Um, right. and, and, you know, that's kind of I would I would describe our Google, uh, you know, we're using Google Meet as our platform. Um, you know, I would consider the live classes, the video, you know, the video conferences, so to speak, uh, to, to be as much play in as possible. Because um, okay. that was one thing that I knew was something that they wanted to do. And they affirmed that, you know, I, I tried to keep a pulse on it. Like, and we've, and we've tried some cool stuff, which we can get into later. Like with the, like composition was never a thing for me before this year. Uh, and we've, we've been dabbling in that. Uh, we've been doing a lot more recording. We've been doing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of projects where there's a lot more student initiative that needs to take place and a lot of student mm -hmm. responsibility, which I think we're going to come out for better on the other side. But, right. uh, as far as like the quote rehearsals go, I just try to keep them playing. So I've got a lot of uh, performance, like professional recordings of things we're playing in band, you know, both both uh, concert music, but also I, I made at the beginning of the year, I, I did a big project. I made a bunch of these um, justly in tune scale based drone patterns and put them over trap beats and like sort of organized them into sort of a professional product. And, you know, I've been, we've, we've been doing that. Oh, cool. Playing a lot of those, yeah. And uh, playing a lot of, to a lot of concert music and, um, just, you know, trying to, trying to keep them playing as, as much as is possible. And they, that's what they tell me they like, you know, they say that they, they, they're in band to play their instruments. So, you know, we, we keep them doing that. Of course they can't hear each other. They're on mute for a lot of it. Uh, and then, you know, it's sort of coming at it from the other hand, and this is where the technology for me anyway, has, has become for the first year more student facing. Um, we've been using a whole ton of tools for the actual assignments that they're working on. And, you know, the, the asynchronous kinds of work, things where they're showing us that they know and can do stuff on their right. instrument. So um, have you been, I mean, have you been uh, virtual this whole time or is it hybrid? Like what, what's the day to day? I mean, is it all virtual? Uh, so we're hybrid now. Um, we were virtual from March of last year until around March of this year. And the hybrid model is, it, it does not look entirely different than what I just described, but we have kids in the room. So there's like, we had to introduce, like the, the main question at the beginning of last March was like, what kind of software do we need to install into our computers to basically route good quality audio play along right. recordings through me, you know, to get the best experience, the lowest latency, the highest quality audio experience. And then when we returned to in-person, we had to say, okay, now what hardware do we need to plug in so that we can basically run these Google Meets like we were virtually, but now there are students in seats who are getting that same audio experience, but like through a sound system right. in a way that's not like crossing any weird wires or adding any strange echo. 
And it's been good. I mean, we, we've got, my biggest classes are about 13 in person and then maybe about another 20, 13 to 20 on, you know, logged into the Google Meet from home. And, right. um, you know, I, I think hearing, uh, I don't hear anyone at home still unless I have them play unmuted in, you know, singular, you know, one, you know just one kid at a time or in small right. groups. But um, hearing the people who are in person is, is super instructive. I mean, I'm correcting things that I'm hearing pitch and, articulation and intonation and at home my kids are like oh that was super helpful thanks for addressing that and I'm like yeah good it's because i can hear you now <laughs> half of you exactly. anyway yeah no the 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 uh two weeks ago i interviewed uh in the, in the second to last episode of the series i interviewed an amazing uh elementary band teacher named Lindsay herrera from modesto california and she uh you know in 2019 2020 she had 190 students in her three different schools that she taught at and this year she has 60 um, and, you know, for most music educators, you would think that's the most devastating thing in the world to, to, to see your program decimated like that. But she's looking at it very much with the half glass full. Um, I, I'm sure you are as well, where I mean, hopefully you haven't taken as big a hit. I was like, oh, that's a lot. And uh, she's like, no, I'm looking forward to building it back up. So what do you think about, you know, what are you looking at for the fall and, and, and what's motivating you? Ooh, to, yeah, I guess I can address those somewhat separately. Um, yeah. So fall is looking okay. I mean, we, we definitely, countywide, we took a hit, a, a real big hit in middle school performing arts, especially. And, you know, that's to be understood. Um, I mean, we get it, you know. I, I remember, uh, you know, I was not a middle schooler so long ago that I don't remember what motivated me to be there. It was it was definitely not playing triads in tune. Like, that's, right, right. <laughs> that's right. not what I was, you know. That's what motivates me to be there now is, uh, is, is you know, that kind of craft. But, I, you know, I, I think that this has just reminded me how much of the experience is social for them. And um, so, I, you know, I think uh, I'm, I am looking forward to, to getting back to that eventually. And, and you know, for next year, um, we did not take as big a hit as, you know, we, we could have relative right. to like what my colleagues in the surrounding areas are telling me. In fact, we're doing OK. Um, we have... You know, I, I think, and, and the thing is, is our administrators are, are really working with us to, like, we, we don't 100% know what our staffing is going to look like next year, but we do know that within the teacher to performing arts class ratio that we will have, that we're going to have a, a fair amount of flexibility. Like, like for example, if we do, if we have lower enough band numbers that maybe in a previous year would have not justified the fourth band, we will possibly be able to split it four ways anyway, if that's what we think is going right, to right. grow back. That's great. So I'm going to shift now to your use of technology. I mean, it's all basically we've been talking about so far, but, um, you know, what kind of software are you using about the free stuff, the, the, the aside from Google Meet, the music software? Like, let us know what kind of activities you're doing with your students. Okay. Um, so, like, specifically in the synchronous part or the... Or any any anything. So... I think that the, you know, the the synchronous, you know, online rehearsal part of it sort of, it's easy for me to compartmentalize this a little bit because I think a lot of the tools that we're using in that environment, I'm running. Like, they're very good teacher-facing tools and utilities, whereas then the stuff that the students are using to fulfill assignments in our learning management software are, like, good representations of more, like, the student-facing tools, the kinds of things where kids, you know, make stuff, things like like what music first offers. So I guess I, the way I would address that is, yeah, I mean, this is good. I, and I might, and I might just, sorry, I'm going to like shamelessly self plug. I did. Oh, please a couple, do. Yeah. I, I have a couple of, and I can send them to you uh, if you wanted to in any way link them to this, but um, basically just a, a sort of two conference sessions I did this year at different state level uh, MEAs, but that were, I have sort of like a podcast. I have a podcast where I sort of did an episode and then I also did a blog post that accompanies each of those session topics. So one of them is about teaching remote rehearsals and then the other one is about developing instrumental performance skills using cloud-based tools. Right. And um, and the for the rehearsal part of it, you know, I've, I've been dabbling in a lot of, of really interesting and fun Mac software. I'm a pretty big uh, Mac user and user of Apple products. I think that they have... Um, a, a really good ecosystem of third-party software developers who continue to make, um, you know, like just just really interesting. Like I think one of the areas I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've been working on my iPad a lot lately, and I'm like the one thing that the iPad, for example, just does not have that the Mac has tons of is like really great utilities that just sort of like 
maybe solve even just like one problem, but really well. And um, some good examples of those, I'm using something called Loopback, which is made by Rogue Amoeba. And that basically allows you to create an input device that your sound settings will recognize, but you can make that input device combine a lot of different sound sources on your computer. So like right now we're talking on Zoom and my microphone is set as the input, but in Loopback I could say, okay, take my microphone, but also take anything that iTunes is doing, take anything that my Chrome browser is using, take anything that um, my metronome app is doing, and then combine all of that into one selectable input so that when I select it in Zoom as the input, if I like play a song on iTunes, you're getting the raw audio. Oh, wow, cool. So that's been uh, a real good tool. I've been using open broadcasting software, which I love to tell teachers about because it's super nerdy and powerful and has a pretty steep learning curve, but it's free. It's completely free and open source. Um, and that is basically like video broadcasting. It allows you to do things like create scenes where I could have one where scene where it's just basically my students see a front, you know, a front view of my webcam, so they see my face. But I could create another scene that combines the, uh, you know, my computer screen plus my face. But then I can sort of like resize my face and put it in the lower corner, kind of like I'm editing a keynote or a PowerPoint slide presentation. Yep. And then you can sort of like create these different scenes that show these different video sources and then super quick, quickly like navigate between them in a really snappy way. It, so it's like, really interesting that you mentioned that software because I saw it for the first time today. We, we did an enormous conference in the virtual conference in the UK. And the guy was talking about how he teaches his uh, special learners with OBS. So it's just fantastic that you mentioned it. Everyone should go and check it out. I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link in the podcast uh, episode. Yeah, there. Um, it's it's real, real good. And you know, I, I think I don't want to like say it's the easiest piece of software ever to use. But I was more, I was scared by it at first, and it actually, it's pretty intuitive where things go. Like you have sort of like video sources, which are basically like things that, you know, capture video. Like my webcam can be one. A win a certain window from an app can be one. A computer yep. screen can be one. And then you basically just have scenes where you combine those different sources in creative ways. And it's just a drag and drop interface. You know, like you're editing a slideshow. Yep, very cool. Awesome. So uh, what are you doing from the creative side of things? Yeah, so uh, with everything I'm doing, so much of it has, until this whole situation came upon us, like so much of it has actually been tools that I use as a teacher, things that empower me. And, and you know, these things make the experiences of my students better because if I'm a more proficient and organized person, I have more time to put myself into other more important things. Um, you know, if I make, have good uh, audio editing skills and I'm creative in a doll, I can make great practice resources. I can display things for my students in creative ways. Like there's all sorts of ways that this has benefited my students, but they've never actually really been the ones using the technology until this year. Um, so, you know, we started last year, we did do, um, and, and we've been doing this once a semester since last March, but we did do, you know, one of these like virtual band things where everyone sort of submits their own asynchronous video uh, of a concert piece. And, and then, but I was the one who was actually editing it. So, you know, I'm like in Final Cut Pro, <laughs> dragging them all around. And I, and I like, you know, I like to, I like a good Final Cut Pro project. I'm, I'm happy with that. But um, what the major change was for this school year was that our district uh, invested in some cloud-based tools that have enabled us to be able to do some composing and some um, stuff in a digital audio workstation. So, um, you know, a, a lot of the tools that and assignments that we've been doing this year at home have been things like, you know, uh, playing along to like a musical excerpt that's presented to them digitally and then like recording themselves and then getting the score back. Uh, or they are the ones who are composing the you know the music themselves or recording themselves as usual but now in a in a digital audio workstation where they actually have to put attention into aligning to a metronome and like having some sort of understanding of like the beat placement of right. what they play and and all of these things have been real it's been so fun and interesting i mean not to mention we haven't talked that much about what i do with general music but then in general music like we were we were not using these tools really prior to this year so I mean, it, to me, it's like to not have a, a digital audio workstation in front of a, a middle school general music student is like not having a tuba for a band kid. Right. Um, so, you know, now that we have these tools, we're suddenly not just working on piano performance and guitar performance and doing um, drum drum circles and, 
in doing like history and appreciation. Now all of a sudden we're making beats, we're songwriting, we are uh, learning about the blues and we're applying piano performance skills and, and guitar, not so much guitar because they don't have access to them at home, but we're applying some of these note reading and music performance skills that are part of our general music curriculum. And now we're like learning about musical styles by making those in a digital audio workstation. So it's it's been kind of fun to kind of, you know, because I, I mean, I've had my ear to the ground about a lot of the stuff that's out there until this year, but now I'm like, I'm getting my hands a little more dirty, actually right. thinking of assignment ideas. So what kind of, what um, what specific software are, are your general music kids using? So right now they're using Music First, Note Flight, Soundtrap. That's, that's kind of like the, the bulk of it. Right. Um, and it's like, perfect. It's like the perfect combination with, uh, you know, and, the, and I don't know if, um, if, if you're set up, you can go back and forth between note flight and soundtrap because there are some pretty cool things you can do between them. But um, yeah, a lot of folks have got note flight and soundtrap, which makes me so happy. If, if there's a silver lining in all of this madness, it's that kids have had the opportunity to explore their creativity with these kind of tools that, you know, they could pick up on a phone or on their Chromebook or whatever that whatever they have at hand. So it's really cool. So what kind of things are your general music kids doing with the, those uh, and whatever and any other software that you're using with them? Sure. Yeah. So um, what we're doing is uh, it's I'm trying. So my, my vision for for general music is sort of like, I mean, you know, it's, it's I have to kind of now now that we have these tools, I have to sort of like, and, you know, and next year when we're in person, I'm going to have to sort of like figure out how to put all of this back together because we are sort of omitting this sort of performance part of the curriculum that's been in our district yeah. for a long time. But for me, I see this huge opportunity to give them experiences that I never could before, but also to sort of connect the dots between these things. Like they learn things in the guitar and the piano books that we use that bring them right up to the brink of like, okay, you are now understanding like how a melody is constructed, but you're also like playing some chords underneath of it. And once you get to that point, you can actually do some interesting things once you start to have like even a very rudimentary understanding of harmony. Right. So like, for example, um, you know, they're playing, and I mean, some of these songs in the Piano Method book are like 16 bars long with a right hand melody playing a single note at a time and then some one and some five chords in the key of C in the left hand, you know, in root position. So you take that and you can like teach them now to compose a melody that's in that same key. Right. And you can follow some some pretty, you know, you can with some very, very strict but basic guidelines, you can get them doing things like writing a major key area melody with pretty decent attention to, you know, using chord tones and like using passing and neighbor tones. Like it's not that hard to get them to do it takes you know a lot of trial and error and some coaching, but you can get them doing that. And then what's super exciting is now you can explore tons of music styles that are actually like made from the beginning in a digital audio workstation. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and they're making this music in the same way that it's actually being made. Like if you're, you know, remixing your favorite pop song, that's something that's happening from start to finish in a DAW. Yeah. So for them to now, like one of my one of my things I've been doing recently that I've enjoyed with the general music kids is uh, is just you know remix a remix assignment and I take uh, a vocal track we we kind of like put together I'll do I'll have them all give me some song ideas and then we'll sort of vote on which ones we're going to do in which order so I'll say okay like here's all the ones you told me um, let's vote which one do we want to do this week and then whatever song they choose I will extract the vocal part from the song and then beat match it to a soundtrack project. And what I'll basically do is in soundtrack, I will set up the soundtrack project template so that the key area and the tempo of the song are the same as the vocal line. So pretty much you can just drag and drop loops underneath. Right. The vocal that, that, that's really, that's a lot of work on your end. I, I, I know that you know, everyone goes, oh, let's do remix projects. And then you actually try to do them. That's pretty impressive there, Robbie. Well, I'm I'm so, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but I'm willing to throw money at a problem if it if it gets me exploring a fun new app. So I've got a, another app recommendation for you. It's uh, do it. so again, I'm sorry to anyone who, who's not like really into the Mac, but it, it's a Mac app. It's made by the same people who do that. Have you ever played with that DJ app for the iPad? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, fun app. They're always like on stage at all the Apple events, like saying, hey, and we've got a new iPad with this new chip. And now here's the people from, I think, Algorithm. Algorithm is the name of the company. Mm-hmm. And, and they come on stage and they say, now you can like, you know, spin your favorite tracks and touch the screen. And so, so those guys, they make a, an app for the Mac called Neural Mix Pro. And what it does is sort of a, it, it does a little bit of like a quick and dirty job of it. But perfect, like absolutely perfect for the kind of thing I'm doing, which is just making middle school remix projects. Right, right, right. And all you do is you just drag an MP3 into the interface, and then you have a slider for vocals, harmony, and drums, and you can sort of independently mix the three. So it's just a really easy way to, yeah, you just sort of slide the mixer for the harmony and the drums all the way to the left, and you have a vocal left. You know, it's not perfect. Yeah, it's nice. It's not perfect. Like you can hear some, uh, like the EQing is a little weird. You can hear the snare drum in a lot of instances still kind of coming through, but it's great. And and it lets you actually like, you know, some some pop songs are, you know, like 83.6 beats per minute. And you can actually on export specify a target key or beats per minute. And then that sort of ensures that, you know, it lines up with the soundtrack template pretty easily. Very cool. It's like, uh, it's kind of the cheap and cheerful Ableton um, stretch kind of. Uh, that's very, very cool. So ner- what's it called again? Just in case anybody didn't write that one down. Sure, it's called Neural Mix Pro. All right, very, I'll try to, I'll try to remember to get a link in the, uh, in the description for this one. So I'm going to, I'm going to change uh, course on our conversation real quick there, Robbie. And um, I know that you have a book that that came out recently called uh, Digital Organization Tips for Music Teachers. And first of all, if you go to, is, is your website RobbieBurns.com? It is, yes. Right. So if you go there you and please press play on the commercial because it's absolutely awesome. And I think it encapsulates what every music teacher goes through. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, and how that came to be. Yeah, I, I think like coming back to my technology roots. Um, well, I don't. I'm not going to go back as far as I did for my music roots with my technology roots because go. that's <laughs> that goes that goes back. But I mean, my my earliest memories of becoming like a like a power user, like someone who wanted to um, use you know use technology for for good, um, you know, is like grad maybe around grad school. So I, I remember like what is this one? I'm going to buy my first Mac. I'm sort of a latecomer to the Mac too. Like, I, I mean, and when I say latecomer, I mean like 2006, okay. but you know, I know, I know some people like grew up, you know, in the uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the, much earlier time than that. So, you know, for me, it was like around the, the Intel era of the Mac and the Mac was, was back. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I buying my, my device and I'm in grad school and I'm doing like this required research seminar and just like ripping my hair out because I'm so unorganized and don't I can't just can't get it together and I discovered this app called Evernote which is oh awesome awesome stuff yeah I I discovered it and I was like you know it's just a cloud syncing web-based note-taking app that you know you can you can clip some text in there add a photo and you can I mean, this sounds so, this is like table stakes for a good note app today, but like add, you can add some tags and I'm like, well, hey, this is actually like a really good system for collecting quotes for my research paper. So that was how I started using it. And then, uh, you know, and then I later discovered Dropbox because, you know, I mean, I, I think that the paper for that class, I remember, you know, emailing myself. That was that was like around the time that Gmail, you, you know, I had my fresh Gmail invite. Right. And, uh, you know, I emailed myself through my Gmail account my my final research paper so that I could print it at the school library. And, um, uh, you know, I you know so I, I remember doing that right around that time because then Dropbox comes around and I'm like, wow, I can like actually just be on any computer and the files are the same. I can like pick up where I left off and. You know, so that that kind of stuff was taken off, and then I was doing all my composing and arranging post grad school, and then uh, I got my first teaching gig, and that was when I bought the iPad, and then that was when things really started to change because you know it's like with the Apple stuff, you get sort of rewarded for like the more of their stuff that you buy. Exactly. <laughs> so, and and in combination with these like syncing tool like organization tools, now I'm like asking questions like, wow, so I can like write a document and pages and then I can edit it from the couch on the iPad version of pages. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking in this sort of way and I'm thinking less of my devices as, um, you know, these, these separate pieces of hardware and more as just windows into the same information, you know, windows into the same, my brain basically, just, you know, trying to get them all to, to function in that way. Uh, and, and, you know, this sort of escalated pretty quickly from there. I started looking at 
you know, places where I could learn more, you know, two, two fun ones I mentioned for people who want to learn more about this stuff is there's a great podcast called the Mac power users that I like where they talk about lots of great apps and utilities and strategies for getting the most out of your computing devices. Uh, I read, um, MacStories.net is a great place to learn about apps. They cover lots of great apps, you know, on a daily basis. And I just started kind of pouring myself into this. And then I started learning about automation and how do I use apps that can like help me actually take multi-step tasks or projects and just tap once to do them. Right. And, you know, so I, it was at the time I started presenting at some conferences on some of this stuff. And eventually it sort of came together. I met some really generous and super helpful people, um, Richard McCready, was the one who was serious. One of my favorite people I walk on the planet. I love Richard. What a guy! And he was the and he was the one who said, "Hey, this is like good stuff you're doing." And I had no idea. I was just like, "Okay, cool." Uh, I, mean, yeah, I get sure. it now. That's perfect. And he introduced you to Norm Hershey. He, he introduced me to Norm, right? Who yeah, you know perfect. was doing the editing, their acquisitions editing at Oxford, and and yeah, and then they said, "I think there's a there's a book idea here," and uh, so that's kind of how it came together. So the. The general idea of the book is that each chapter covers sort of like a piece of data that a computer can manage. So there's like an email section, a task management section, notes, uh, sheet music, videos, photos, like just the different things that if you are any kind of professional, you need to manage that kind of data. Absolutely. And then I talk about the apps and the workflows that I like to use to manage those. And then every chapter ends with a series of workflows that are specific to the music teaching profession. So like, here's how I think about managing my tasks, but like the examples are not generic. It's like, here's me going to my band assessment and how I'm like taking the frantic multifaceted tasks related to that and sort of like streamlining them. Got it. So before I ask my final two questions, Robbie, I got to ask you this one because I'm sure that people are listening going, all right. So if you looked at my laptop desktop at the moment, you, you would probably be horrified because I save everything to my desktop I have files over files. What does your desktop look like right now? You know, I'm actually, I'm coming around on this. So there's like, I, there's a before and an after picture in one of the chapters, because there's a whole chapter on like cloud, like basically like file management. Right. And like, I, I'm coming around on this because here's the deal. Like if you're on, a, at least in my case, I'm on a Mac, you can now sync the contents of your desktop over iCloud. Yes, I do this. Yep. And so for me, the idea of like where files are on your computer is like starting to get more and more abstracted by like how the user interface presents them to you. Yep. So like for me, I'm most of the time I'm thinking about a file. I'm thinking more about like where do I want to be, like what tool do I want to be working with it in? And like how recently was I working on it rather than like what folder is it in? So I actually like, I don't, I've got a lot on my desktop right now. I know that. All right, I'm, good. All right, I don't <laughs> feel so bad. I'm sitting here talking to the uh, uh, what's it, Maria Kondo of, uh, of music. I'm like, oh no, he's probably, if he saw my desktop, he'd be horrified. That's good to know. Um, so I, I, we're running out of time here, Robbie. So I want to make sure I get these last two questions in for you. The first one is, uh, what advice, you know, I'm sure you are, now that you have this book out, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the, in the podcast description as well, but what advice would you give to music teachers who are either number one, trying to figure out how to use technology and they've kind of been forced to do it and maybe learned under duress or pressure. Um, but, you know, what advice would you give them if they want to learn more to figure out how to do this with a little bit more clarity next year? And the other one is, you know, um, if somebody wants to get organized, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think learning the technology is, is best done when it comes from a place of love. You know, I think you can find solutions to the actual problems that you really need to solve that, that are personal to you when you look, you know, cause like the, the school district is always going to like put thing tools in your hands and say like, here, we, we gave this to you, you know, use this. Um, but for me, I'm sort of always thinking more about like, what are actually the problems that I want to solve? The problems I want to solve are never actually like apps or right. tools. They're, it's always like, I want to like make this thing take less time, or I want my students to be more engaged. And so, you know, I, if you work from an actual problem, you know, backwards to what is the best tool for it, I think that that's, you know, more of the same yep. place to start from. Um, it definitely does not happen overnight. Uh, for me, you know, this is definitely years and years of, of research. But I say research, but I'm, t I'm not talking about, like, like a real serious grind. I'm talking about, like, just, you know, subscribing to a couple of my favorite blogs and, like, checking in once a day, like, what are the, you know, what cool apps are, are out there. And, um, and, you know, I think definitely everyone's a little different about 
this next little piece mm. of advice. But like, I, I think that if you are willing to take risks and break stuff, um, you know, you can you can learn to you know understand the underlying behaviors of technology rather than just sort of like a prescribed step by step yeah. how to. Um, and it's not unlike improvising on an instrument. Like anyone who has learned how to, you know, play in a small jazz combo before. This, I mean, it's really not that different. It's the same kind of flexibility. It's the same kind of spirit. It's the same kind of attitude. I, you know, much like performance and, and teaching. And the technology is not like some thing that I define myself by. It's just a, a third sort of strand or extension of this spirit of sort of like making things and creating things and, and getting things done in the most efficient way possible. That's great. Very, very good advice. So uh, last question for you, Robbie, is when I ask everybody, uh, and that is the magic wand question. It doesn't, it, it basically, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything, either about the software that you use for Music First or any of the software or any, of uh, you know, technology in large, uh, at writ large, what would it be? Yeah, that's so good. I, I know you, you told me that you were going to ask this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like, so, okay, like, a, you know, a year ago, the cop out would be like, oh, I want a thing where we can like communicate in real time without any delay. I mean, that's, that's not really the world we live in our world. So I, I don't feel like that's the most constructive answer. I mean, I, I think like for me, I, most, I'll connect it to your last question. Like most students and teachers, the hang up that we have with technology is usually that it is not super easy or direct to use. And I will, I don't think in education technology, there's like, I wouldn't describe it as a race to the bottom with people who develop software. Like no one is trying to make bad software. I just think right. that like t technology and education software is just so sincerely underfunded and unsupported. Like there's just not enough time or development or like resources ever to, you know, and, and then of course it does not help that no institution or teacher like really wants to pay for anything, which is understandable. Like I, I say that like sort of like with a smirk on my face, but it's also like, you know, when you're, when you have to buy like pencils and tissue paper for your class, like it's understandable. You don't want to buy some, some app, you know? Right. So, you know, I think that, um, if I could change one thing, like I would just, you know, whatever resources, that the people who are making the software for teachers and students needed to make their software work in the smartest, most intuitive, most beautiful way possible so that a teacher was less steps away from getting what was in their head out into the tool. I would, I would bless all of you fine people in development with all of the money, <laughs> if I could stop. Yeah, you know, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to that because it's a very, very well thought out answer um, in terms of that that makes perfect sense. And just from the development side, what a lot of people don't realize, we, we've asked our customers, hey, what features would you like to see, that kind of thing. And somebody will say, well, why doesn't it do this? Right. So, for example, you're a percussionist and we have a piece of software called Practice First and everybody wants non-pitched percussion to be assessed, right? And smart music can't do it, we can't do it. But what no one knows is that we've, we've probably spent over $100,000 trying. And, and what I think if I were to come back in another life, it would be to be a software developer because they're really expensive. So, you know, something like, hey, we'd like to, the ability to collapse a header on a, on a, on a web page. Um, you know, can you do that? What people don't realize, it's about $170 an hour. And then what they do, or what most developers do, is they'll take, you know, five hours to quote unquote scope the project, which means this is what we need to do. Then we'll have to decide whether or not we want to do it. And then we'll pay them to do it. And then we pay them to test it. And then once it's done, we then pay them forever to keep it going. So, like a little tiny feature like a header being able to collapse is probably twenty to $30,000 and, and nobody really, and so from your, as my dad used to say, from, from your lips to God's ears, that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that development gets more funded. And, you know, I get it with teachers not, not really wanting to fork over their very limited budget, but yeah, we're doing the very best we can. And even my competitors, and I, I'm a little crazy to say it, we're all trying the best we can to deliver the the, the best possible tools for teachers, but it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. For sure. I mean, I, I think the, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to be an armchair software developer when, you know, I'm, I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting around my house, like 
you know, waiting for time to pass and I'm like opening up the Apple Notes app and I'm like, wow, this is immaculate. Like, why can't my favorite like music tech software like have a cleaner toolbar or something, you know? But at the end of the day, like everyone is doing their best and um, it's it's quite, it's just quite amazing that we have even what we do. Like I, I, I think of, um, you know, music first, just as an example, and I'm, I'm not just trying to blow your horn here, but I, you know, like the fact that there can be this this great thorough lesson content that you can just download into a course that like takes these experiences and sort of like organizes you know the learning into like all great open web content like youtube videos spotify playlists instructional text you know text and then at the bottom of the page is a like open and soundtrack button and then you can just like be taken to a template where i can have made something you know like i was describing earlier where i can already have like certain features of the project already set and then the student just like works with it there and then hits a submit button and then boom it's like the grade you know that then you can later i mean some of these learning management systems can actually like show you the soundtrack doll like within the interface of the learning management system where you're like grading with the rubric so it, like the fact that any of this even works is we need to take a step back <laughs> it's quite incredible and uh, i you know i don't envy this process of having to decide these which feature gets into the app next for sure. <laughs> I can't imagine it. Well, Robbie, it's been an absolute treat to talk with you. What a great way to end um, our third season of podcasts. I wish you all the best. I hope you have a great rest of your school year, restful summer, and that uh, things are quote unquote back to normal in the fall for you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This has been real awesome. Um, I, I, I love, you know, podcasts and um, it's so, it's so fun that there's like, you know, there's, there are a few people doing it, but for the few who are doing it, I love that there is like music education and technology content out there for people to listen to like this show. And so it's uh, an honor to be here. And thanks for having me. You got it, Robbie. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.